the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Romans chapter 9, verse 33. See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. The one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Let's explore that verse together next. As you journey through the book of Romans, you find that Paul has a masterful way of laying out the truths of the gospel, just how great God is and how in desperate need we are of his great goodness and kindness. We invite you to join us here today on Abounding Grace as we explore chapter 9, verses 25 through 33 together, righteous only in the rock. And it's a righteousness that is afforded not just to the people of God, the Israelites, but to you and I as well. And that is the wonderful truth we're looking at today. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Righteous only in the rock. Throughout Paul's letter to the Romans, righteousness has never been far from his thoughts. Well, what do we mean by righteousness? It is one of the most important words in this book of Romans. By righteousness is not meant anything you or I can conjure up because we don't have it. We are filthy, fallen, depraved, and dead in sin. Righteousness is that perfection of life, of heart, that God himself gives us through the obedience of his Son. We certainly don't feel it now as we should, but there is coming an hour in which righteousness will be the most pressing need of your life. Oh, we need it now. But there is coming an hour when you will stand before the living God and excuses will do you no good. Arguments won't do you any good. Morality, it won't do you any good. Sentiment won't do you any good. You must have a righteousness that will endure the gaze of our holy God without flinching, that he can look at and not find a single spot. Oh, we are doomed, beloved. But he is holy, holy, holy. And because of Jesus Christ, our doom is removed. Because of his obedience and because he took our doom upon himself. Righteousness has been Paul's concern throughout the letter. Chapters 1 through 3 are not a pretty picture that he painted of our sinfulness. Because there is not one of us who will ever be motivated to flee to Jesus Christ from the wrath to come unless we are convinced of our filth. Then in chapter 4 with Abraham, he showed us that we don't produce this righteousness by being good. 
Abraham believed God's promises and it was credited to him, counted to him, reckoned to him or imputed to him for righteousness. God made a promise of righteousness in Christ. Abraham looked forward to his day and he saw it and was glad. He looked ahead and received from Jesus Christ that obedience that he needed to have fellowship with God. Chapter 5 shows us that what we lost in Adam, righteousness, rectitude, character, life, favor with God, we regain in Christ by his sacrifice and by his obedience. Even in chapters 6 through 8, where the main theme is holiness or sanctification, he draws from this and builds upon the foundation of the righteousness that we have in Christ so that we are declared righteous. We are reckoned to be righteous because of Jesus' obedience given to us as a free gift. And from that same root, we draw grace unto holiness. Everything in Romans has been about righteousness, a righteous standing before God through the imputed righteousness of Christ and a righteousness in life through our union with him in his death and resurrection. Now, we've been looking at chapter 9, and Paul is very concerned about his own countrymen. Why is that? Well, they have rejected this righteousness but why? They had the law. They had the covenants. They had all kinds of external privileges. They saw things that we've never even seen. We read about these things and the hair on the back of our neck stands on end. They saw them. And yet a majority of them became apostate. They rejected God's covenant. Now in chapter 9... Paul made it very clear that God never looked at the election, at the, at the elect nation of Israel and determined to treat them all the same way. Within that body, in that same fallen lump, there were vessels of wrath upon whom he revealed the glory of his justice. And there were vessels of mercy to whom he revealed his undeserved kindness in saving them. It was a remnant. And through that remnant, who deserved the same thing as the majority, God reserved for himself, and he fulfilled his, pro his purposes through them and brought forth the Messiah into the world. So God's decree is really enough to answer this question of why the Jews rejected Christ's righteousness. But the Lord does not want us to commit the same mistake that the majority of the Jews have committed. And what was that mistake? The righteousness that God requires? We cannot come up with it. They thought that they could be in God's favor by keeping God's law, hold on to God's favor through law keeping. But they rejected the promised Messiah, the Lord our righteousness. So they lost their place in God's covenant. So the purpose of Romans 9.30 to the end of chapter 10 is to encourage us as strongly as possible to hold fast to the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ. 
Now, verse 30 records the most unparalleled event in human history. And that is the two millennial long or 2,000 year long conversion of the Gentiles. And of course, it's still going on today. It is totally beyond human expectations. Now, it is true that God promised it to Abraham and he renewed it through the prophets. But the majority of Israel didn't believe this was going to happen. After all, the Gentiles were dogs, and so they would have nothing to do with them, which is understandable, because as it says in verse 30, the Gentiles did not follow after righteousness. And that's critical. Now, they were very religious, as Paul recognizes in Acts 17. They had a plethora of gods and idols and all kinds of ceremonies. They were a religious people throughout the whole Gentile world. They built fabulous cities. They wrote amazing things. They prescribed codes of conduct for men's lives. And in many respects, they were more noble than modern-day Americans are. Not all of them, but some of them. And yet there is one thing that never occurred to them. The need for a righteousness that would endure the gaze of the holy God. In other words, their blind and dead condition prevented them from penetrating the truth about man. But some of them went a little deeper and saw that there is something fundamentally wrong with man to a man. They either went from there to a more rigid moralism or skepticism, which is always accompanied by statism and big government, or mysticism in various forms. But none of them followed after righteousness, that righteousness that God requires as a condition for fellowship with him. But amazingly enough, verse 30, they now attained it. The Gentiles. But how? How could those who did not understand their lost condition, who did not understand that I cannot improve myself through obedience, I cannot improve myself through slick philosophy and culture, I can't improve myself through better government and infrastructure, how did those to whom it never occurred that I need a righteousness outside of me, how could they attain it? Well, the obvious answer is, notice at the end of verse 30, even the righteousness which is of faith. In other words, God gave his son to be a light to the Gentiles and a covenant to the people. God gave them faith to believe the gospel. As we saw last week in Acts chapter 13, when Paul and Barnabas preached Isaiah 49 in a synagogue there, where there were Gentiles in attendance, and they heard, they said, wait a minute, this promise is 700 years old, that God was going to give his son to be a light to the Gentiles. So what did they do? They glorified the word of the Lord and as many as were ordained unto eternal life, believed. 
And what is the key to the Gentiles obtaining righteousness? Like Abraham, it was faith. They believed God's promises. The Gentiles by faith is meant what? We don't prepare ourselves. Righteousness is not in us. And the old writers of an, uh, uh, spoke of an alien righteousness, meaning not that it was from Mars or outer space, but it is outside of us. Righteousness is not in us. It comes as a gift of God's grace. Faith leads us away from ourselves into God's promises, which interestingly enough is very consistent with verse 16, which is, So then it is not him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God who showeth mercy. The Gentiles are a perfect illustration of it's not your effort. It is not your obedience. It is the sovereign, undeserved, even unlooked for mercy of Almighty God. And notice again the emphasis upon faith. Because when we turn to verse 31, here's Israel. Israel was like those who lived in a beautiful palace, a palace of promises, sacrifices, ornate ceremonies. And yet they tore it down and built a ruin of man-made rules, externalism and corruption of God's word. Now, supposedly, they followed after righteousness. Paul says they did. They knew something about righteousness. But notice the change of terminology from verse 30 to verse 31. The righteousness which is of faith, Verse 30, verses verse 31, the law of righteousness. They thought we can have this righteousness by our obedience to the law, by our law keeping. We can attain God's favor, stay in God's favor, but in doing all that, they never attained righteousness. In fact, they lost it completely. They lost the light of God's covenant. They were cut off. And as Jesus said, their nation and their kingdom was given to a nation bearing the fruits thereof. Why is this? Well, notice the contrast here. The Gentiles were like those who lived in a ruin. Man's fall and depravity. And yet they tried to decorate it and pretend that it was a palace just as they do today. Israel had the palace of God's covenant, and they tore it down and made ruins out of it. There was blindness all around. Why did this happen to Israel? Because they sought it not by faith. Again, I want to be really, really clear. I don't want anyone to misunderstand what faith is. Faith is not, I believe, George Washington crossed the Delaware River. Faith is not, I believe, the moon is made of green cheese. Faith is not, I hope at some point, I will be able to go to Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk before the summer's over. Faith is, which I I actually do, faith is when we take God at his word, 
close our eyes to everything that contradicts what he has said. And we rest on his word alone. Abraham is the consummate biblical example of faith. Abraham, you're going to have a child. A child is going to be a seed in whom you are going to inherit all the nations. God will use him to bring salvation to all the nations. And Abraham was an old man. And every time the promise was renewed to him, he was older. Finally, he was really old. He was near 100. He looked over at Sarah, who may have still been a pretty woman, but she was near 90. But Abraham said, it doesn't matter what I see with my eyes. God has spoken. And God's word is truer than anything I see with my eyes or I hear with my words or what I see on the news. It is God's word, beloved, that shapes reality. And that is faith. Faith says God has spoken. That is enough for me. No questions, no doubts, no remonstrances, no arguments, no debates. God has spoken. Now granted, our faith is weak. So sometimes there are these foreign ingredients such as doubt and, and, and such things. But we have to understand what faith is. Faith is, is a looking away from me. I cannot do it. God has to give me a righteousness that he will accept. And that is not what the Jews sought. The Jews thought it, sought it through their rules, through their ceremonies, through their traditions, through their scribes, etc., etc. But notice here verse 32. They sought it not by faith, but as it were. A small but important phrase in Greek, but as it were by the works of the law. This is really the nail in the coffin of all Judaism. There is a sense in which there has been modern revisionists who want to reclassify certain elements of Judaism. But here, the Holy Spirit gives us his own judgment. And he says, as a whole, the Jews did not seek righteousness by faith, but as it were, as if it were even possible, by the works of the law. Now that phrase, as it were, and listen carefully, the law was never given, ever, 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 even hypothetically, so that a man by obeying it could obtain justification. That was not the purpose of the law. The law was given to reveal God's righteousness to us. It was given to expose our sinfulness and to, to point us to the promised Messiah who was included with the giving of the law in blood. Everywhere you looked around Mount Sinai, there was blood. When Moses received the law, when he received the instructions for the tabernacle, when they built the tabernacle, everything was sprinkled with blood. Why? Because you can't do it. You cannot be good enough to go to heaven, as we would say it today. You cannot be good enough 
to obtain God's favor. You cannot do it. So what does God do? God says, priest, put your hands on the head of that bull or on the head of that goat as a symbol of the transference of guilt. Slit its neck. Let the blood flow, pointing to Christ, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. So, beloved, the law was never given, Paul says, ever, ever, ever to earn God's favor. Paul said, I used to think it was, but of course I was sadly deluded. It was never given for that purpose. So dispensationalism with its Old Testament law and the New Testament as simply a book of grace just goes bye-bye with this. It is not a tenable theory because it is just a theory For the word of God says the law was never given for the purpose of making men righteous. Ever, ever, ever. It was meant to reveal God's righteousness, to expose our sinfulness, and then by leading us to trust in the blood of the substitute, then showing us how to lead a life that is pleasing to God. So it is not simply, listen, that Israel failed to obtain righteousness. They went about trying to obtain it the wrong way. It's not simply that they didn't get it. They went about it the wrong way. But there's more. They stumbled at that stumbling stone. So wait a minute. He goes from they tried to get righteousness by obeying the law to a stumbling stone. Turn to Isaiah chapter 8. Because one of the most profound things that unifies Scripture and begins to open up God's Word to us is the realization that the promise and the reality of salvation in Christ does not begin in the book of Matthew. It begins all the way back in the Old Testament. The hope of God's true people within Israel was Christ. So beginning in Isaiah chapter 7, it opens up with Ahaz, a very wicked king. He's tried to befriend Tiglath-Pileser, the Assyrian monarch. In fact, in order to buy him off, he emptied the substantial portion of the treasury, went to Damascus where Tiglath-Pileser was ravaging the ten northern tribes, made his ob obeisance, made an offering, and even copied the altar that Tegeleth Pileser had made in Damascus. He had the artisans in Jerusalem make it and put it in the Holy of Holies. So he introduced just unbelievable adultery. Well, things get rough because relations had broken down between Ahaz and the Assyrians. So Ahaz is having to think about going to Egypt to get some support troops from the south to protect him from the threat of the north, the Assyrians. So at this point, Isaiah comes to him, beginning in verse 10 of Isaiah, and says, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. In other words, I do not believe. 
I do not want a sign from God. I reject his grace. I reject his covenant. Neither will I tempt the Lord. Falseness and hypocrisy of Ahaz. And then Isaiah said, Hear ye now, O house of David. It is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. One of the most precious promises of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, given at a moment of incredible crisis in Judah's history to a very wicked king to encourage him. Don't worry as he goes through chapter 8. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.